0: Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And we'll be looking at the second chapter of Ephesians and uh, be reading several verses. But the focus uh, this morning is going to be on uh, chapter 2 and verse 10. We'll start reading in verse 1 of Ephesians. And read down through the 10th verse. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, let that echo in your hearts and minds, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised Us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, the consummation of history, if you will, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I would preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's holy word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures and we thank you, O God, that you have raised up sinful, broken vessels to preach your word for all are sinful and all are broken. And in spite, O Lord, of the condition of the one who brings forth the word, you have been pleased to call. You have been pleased to bless. You have been pleased, O God, to set this upon particular people for the purpose of proclaiming your word. So I ask, O oh God, that you would be with me. Give me, O oh Lord, the passion. Give me, O oh God, a sense of your presence with me and be with the congregation, that the minds would not drift here and there, that they would delight in hearing the gospel. And it may be, O oh God, that you would use this for our own sanctification. We pray that if any you are here outside of faith, O oh Lord, that you might see fit to draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I made a decision not to focus on verses Uh, 8 and 9, because I dealt with them in the previous verses to a certain degree. Uh, You all have probably memorized these. For grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So there we are saved in spite of what we deserve, in spite of who we are, by the kindness of our God. And also he states here that all boasting is annihilated because it is by his goodness, by his grace, by his working, we do not merit it. We do not deserve it. It is by his grace. Therefore, we have no reason whatsoever to be boastful about it. As a matter of fact, boasting before that reason, I think, is very distasteful to the Lord. I think it is ungodly before the Lord as well. So our focus would be on ten for this. Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everyone who is a writer, particularly a writer of stories, particularly a writer of novels, would have a desire to see that novel being picked up by a publishing company and that novel being published and that novel being most successful so much so that the publishing company says, okay, you've got to go to this bookstore and sign books. you got to go to this bookstore and sign books. This is going to help your book to sell. And so you go and you do that. And then you're contacted by your agent, and most successful writers have agents, and they tell you this. A producer in Hollywood wants to buy the rights to your book. That's big money. And you probably have that dollar sign floating around in your mind. Wow. My book being put in the form of a movie? And then you think this. If they buy my book, they can tell whatever story they want. That's a fact. You may have something that is really Christ-honoring, something that picks good against evil and good winning, and they may turn around the world. Evil actually wins. You lose the right to dictate to those people how to tell your story. They bought it, it's theirs, and that's it. So you think again, I just don't know. You may even say, how much influence will I have in in determining the course of the story? Oh, all you want. And then you sign the documents, and you find out that was a lie. You don't have the right to dictate how they tell the story. It's your creation. It's yours. You had certain ideas for it. You had certain hopes for it. You had certain desires for it, and how it would affect society. And now, to reach even a larger audience through film, what you had intended is not going to happen. When God created us, when God saved us, God had specific purposes in mind as to how we were to live our lives. He, He did, if you will, write the book and gave us the instructions. Here, as one of my children, is how I desire for you to live your life. And then the question is this. What have we done as we wrote the screenplay? Have we fulfilled God's purposes as we day by day unfold the screenplay that we write moment by moment? This text uh, this morning is really... A sort of the crescendo, uh, the loud trumpeting uh, in an uh, orchestral arrangement or some piece of music. Uh, the crescendo is just a, a higher and higher and higher volume until it reaches that big crash at the end. Well, this is, in a sense, the crescendo of God's purposes in saving us. As Paul brings this in in the 10th verse of this marvelous uh, uh, book, and uh, this morning, we, as we go through this, we should uh, keep this in mind. Because God has intended a particular way for his children to live out their lives. We need to see to it that day by day we are seeking to live out our lives as God intended us to live. Does God care how you think? Yeah. Does he care how you live? Yeah, he does. Very, very Much so. Here's a question. Do you think that by the way you live, you can be pleasing to God or displeasing to God or is he basically hands off sort of God? We can be pleasing to God. We can displease God. You remember in David, when David had his affair with um, Bathsheba and Bathsheba came with child by Bathsheba. And he had her husband murdered on purpose, trying to cover his tracks, trying to hide what he had done. And then it all uh, came out, David expresses this. He knows that as he lived in a state of rebellion and hardness of heart, he knows that he was not pleasing to God. And you read that as you read Psalm 51, and Psalm 37, the penitential Psalms, he says that I lost the joy of my salvation, he says. Why? Well, because he had sinned a great sin before the eyes of the Lord, and he did not repent. He had not said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I kept my mouth shut. I hardened my heart against you. I failed to admit and acknowledge my sin. And you read that in Psalm 51. He finally comes to the point of doing that. And He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of knowing you and loving you and enjoying your presence in my life. He had gotten away from that path which God had intended him to live his life. Well, the first thing then is that these works that we are to do are made possible by the grace of God. These works that we are to do, that God has ordered us to do, are made possible by the grace of God. For we are his workmanship, we read here in the text. Again, a restatement of what he said earlier. That as Christians, we are Christians by God's working, by God's grace, by God's invitation, not by law-keeping. The law was never, ever intended to be a means of our salvation. As a matter of fact, it was intended to point out to us our failings, our shortcomings, our offenses to God. That's why the law is given to us. As Paul says, uh, that uh, uh, he had been a keeper of the law, so he thought, and then he came to some—I mean, to, uh, to the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. And now, well, uh, oh, he found out he was one who was a coveter. Uh, he uh, was coveting, uh, of uh, I personally think, Stephen's bravery. When Stephen was stoned to death and he stood up and said, the Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What a great testimony to Stephen's courage and his faith as he said that, as he breathed his last before the people. So the law was not given to save us. The law was given to drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of it. And so it is that God works a change in the life of his people. All of you, I suppose, maybe you haven't, I don't know. I used to work in a nursery. <clears throat> I delivered flowers I, mean, I did a lot of I did a bunch of stuff here you know sold stuff but it was like a, a nursery and I dressed a plant I can't remember what it was a potted plant I took it to this house which was a funeral home I thought I was going to somebody's house because it was a house and I walked up the steps and I looked in the room and I didn't see anybody I knocked on the door, and nobody answered. I called out, and nobody answered. It was a screen door. So I walk inside, and here to my right is a dead man in a coffin. It was kind of strange to me. I was used to going to funeral homes, but not somebody's house to see a dead man in the coffin. That's what we were like prior to God's grace. We were dead in a coffin spiritually. No life, no breath, no pulse, no interest in the things of Christ. So we go back to that. We are his workmanship. That God has done a great work of grace, taking us, if you will, out of the coffin of death and giving us life in the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritual life, whereby we are able to fellowship with God and we are able to look forward to something that God has in store for us in the world to come and we notice this as you look back at the language we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus this is the same word that is used by the apostle Paul in Romans where he talks about the creation same word we were created well, that says a whole lot that we go from being nothing to being alive. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and the change that occurs within us must be an internal change. And so that means this: that outward activities, if you're dead spiritually, don't do a thing to endear to the Lord. Not going to worship, not reading your Bible not spending time in prayer, not swearing off sugar, nothing. Because it is an internal change that must take place. Only God can do that. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So that change must be internal. It must be also something that is dramatic. It is a heavenly change. Nothing on earth can bring about that change, only the grace of God. It is a heavenly change, a work that God and God alone does. And it does bring us now to new devotions, that we have new commitments in our lives, that we have new interests in our lives, as though who is at one time were outside of fellowship with Christ to those who now are in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a radical change within Let me read to you from uh, Corinthians and the um, uh, the fifth chapter. I hope it's the fifth chapter. I wrote to you in this letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning that all sexually immoral uh, in the world, but the greedy swindlers, idolaters, since you uh, need to go out from them. That's how we were. And such were some of you, the Apostle Paul says, idolaters, fornicators, adulterers. People had no interest in spiritual things whatsoever. He says, and such were some of you. But you have been born again. And so the affections that we have and the interests that we have should be those that are characterized then by spiritual righteousness. That I am a Christian. And at one time, prior to conversion, I had no interest in God, I had no interest in Christ, no interest in heaven. This is all it was, you see. You only go around once, you've got to grab all the gusto you can. How many of y'all remember that commercial? It was a beer commercial slit. So well, never mind. But the whole idea was you only go around once, you live once, you gotta grab all the gusto you can. Make the best of this world, as Paul said. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the mindset of the unbeliever. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's, That's it. It's all over with after that. Well, no, we are changed, you see, and our interests change as well, and our affections change. This is what I wanted to read. First Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm in Ephesians. Okay. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or women who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. The whole idea is, here's what your Corinthians were like prior to conversion, you're not like that now. That's not to say that once we come to Christ, we won't deal with these things. It may be well that a man who's homosexual will still deal with that temptation after he's converted. But he confesses, this is not what God has for me. This is not what God would desire for me. And you deal with it. It may fall at times, but you don't quit. You continue to strive against those sins that so easily entangle us. So those affections there are changed, and our citizenship is changed as well. As Paul writes in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's your home. Bill Combs, as you know, I have a deep affection for Bill. Bill was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi when some things were going on with a man named Steve Wilkins. Bill was one of the ones that was a very defender of Steve, a supporter of Steve, the one of the Presbyterians to do what was right. Um, He's been coming. He came here for years. He was a great counselor to me. He was one who uh, Uh, preach for us for a long, long time. Well, his home is in heaven. Not in Alvin where he lives. His real home, his real residence is in heaven. So that's one of the things that comes from the work that God has done in our lives where we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he is the only hope that we have of that new beginning, this Christ. If you're here today, You're not a Christian. You know you're not a Christian. You don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the gospel. You're going to hell. That's the plain, simple fact of the matter. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. There is a hell. And if you die in unbelief, I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how well you're thought of by your friends. If you're a member of the Chamber of Commerce, if you're a who's who, whatever the case may happen to be. If you're not a believer... If you're not in Christ Jesus and you die, you're going to hell. But you can come to faith. You can come to Christ. You can call out to Jesus to save you and to deliver you from the wrath to come. So that great change that takes place in us is one that is only done by the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, that ought to thrill you. I don't care how many times you've heard that, if you don't care about it, you are either not saved or you take the gospel for granted. Well, the second thing then is that our good works are necessary to be a part, are necessarily a part of the Christian life. They do not save us. Good works do not save us. They don't contribute one iota to your salvation or the security of your place in heaven but they necessarily demonstrate the fact that your faith is real and that you are truly and sincerely one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. As James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if we are truly and sincerely converted, you will show it by the way that you are committed to serving Jesus. You'll show it. You will have an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have an affection for God's people as well. You will have an affection for Scripture. You will have an affection for the proclamation of God's Word. All of these things. And I'm sure there are probably some Sundays when you get up, uh, when people get up, none of y'all, but when people get up and they say, I just do not want to go to... I, don't, I, I like to say go to worship. Go to church. This is the church building. We go to worship. We are the church. And so you get up and say, "I, I was up too late last night. I forgot it was Sunday tomorrow." Happens every Sunday and Saturday. Every after every Saturday comes Sunday. Well, I just was up too late last night. Party a little bit too long last night. Well, I'm gonna watch it on TV. That is not pleasing to the Lord. I know there are occasions when we cannot make it. You're sick, but don't let it be because you forgot tomorrow Sunday and you stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning having a good time, and therefore you can't drag yourself out of bed and come to worship. That should never be the case. This day for a Christian ought to be the highlight of his week. It really should, because you're going to meet with God's people and worship your God, the God who loves you, the God who redeems you, the God from whom you will stand before at one time, my son Joseph told me he went to a worship service, and there's a text in Corinthians that says, for We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. The pastor skipped that verse. He said everything was okay until he got to that one verse. We must all, Paul includes himself, must, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. He is our judge. But the wonderful thing is no one will be standing before him, though broken vessels and fallen in so many ways will stand before our great God as those who are his children, as those for whom Christ died, as those for whom he absolutely loves more than we can ever think or imagine. So we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that our great God would have us (coughs) to do good works. I read about this, read some things. They boil down good works by obedience. In my opinion, if you have your little checkbook or a little mark and you check off what you've done, look at God's law, check, 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 you really fail to understand the text. We are to be those who abide by the Ten Commandments. We're to keep God's law. does by no means the entire extent of living the Christian life. It is the beginning point of living the Christian life, in my opinion. We are to be committed to doing good works, to showing kindness to others, to reaching in and helping those who are in need around us. The last thing is and that these good works that Christians live were ordained by God from eternity past, uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into. Well, How are we to understand this? We understand it's a very, very mechanical thing that, that uh, just for me personally, uh, here's what it is that I'm to do day by day that God has ordained for me to do. I don't think that's it. I think what this is teaching us is before creation, God determined what was well-pleasing. It was a part of who he was. He declared it, if you will, in the in sense of time and space. These are things that I deem as good, and you are to walk in them. You are to walk in them. And the walk of the Christian life is something that we do every day. It's our habit of living. You know, earlier on, we talked about walking according to the powers on high, according to the Satan. Well, Now we walk according to the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has told us, these are things that are delightful to me. These are things that I think are good and pleasing. I meant to bring in, I felt to do it, uh, the table talk. Uh, if you all have not read that book on uh, the one that deals with... Um, Uh, Sin and sins that are acceptable. Look at that list. You will be surprised. Laziness is one that's listed. Apathy in marriage is one that's listed. Greed and being willing to practice unlawful things to take advantage of someone. That's one of the things listed to get yourself an advantage. Those are the things. that There are like several of them. Arrogance. Is one of them. All of these things there that they say in the book, the one, this particular episode, edition of Table Talk, we don't worry about. It. We don't worry about. It. Arrogance has become an accepted strength in the church. Taking advantage of someone to get advanced money—that's just being a wise businessman, man. I say. Good works cover a great broad scope of things that please the Lord, not just, okay, I didn't practice idolatry today, I didn't take the Lord's name in vain today, and that's another one, taking the Lord's name in vain, we do it so many different ways, so he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them as his people, we are to abide by those things, and it is well pleasing to our Lord, well, so What? So what? If you're sick, I mean like sick, sick. I mean like might die sick. And you're given instructions. Everybody's a doctor by your friend. Everybody's a doctor today, right? Got the internet. I know what I'm doing. So you have been given a protocol to follow. And you understand if you don't follow this protocol, you're not going to live. You're not going to live. You're going to die. And then you say, so what? It's too much trouble. I simply do not care about doing those things. And yet the end result of that is going to be disastrous. If we fail to heed what Paul writes here, good works that we should walk in them, this should be the pattern of our life, the habit of our life. If we don't care, it's just too much trouble to be a Christian all the time. Then the results is going to be disastrous. It may be that you're a believer, and it may be that you kind of don't want such tight reins on your life. And what can be the result of that is disastrous as for as relationships. Disastrous as far as your walk. Disastrous fours, for us boldly facing death when it comes time for you to die. We are to walk in these things. And it is that they are pleasing to our Lord. Let me say this. This is the last word on this. God has given those who have children an opportunity. And it's brief. It is very, very brief to teach them instruct them and to set before them a good example of what it means to be a Christian. Don't forsake that opportunity and that privilege God's given them to you. They're your children. Teach them. God has given us this way to live. He would have us to walk in them things before creation ever came. He has ordained that these things are good. And we should walk and, um, and they look for ways in God's providence how you may have to go outside of your comfort zone to help someone that is in need that you can help. And ask God to give you strength to do these things. Let's pray.